I'm going to pitch hit tonight, and we're going to have a good time, and it, whether you like it or not. <laughs> but before we get started, why don't we, um, why don't we have a word of prayer, both for the Petty's family and as well as what we're doing here tonight. God of mercy, there are so many in this world that are hurting. There are so many who need to know that you are there and that they can lean into you for your strength. We especially lift up Don and Patty and Courtney tonight as they face this end of a journey. We can't imagine what it's like for them, Lord. We may have been through similar things on our own, but everybody's journey is so different. But we lift them up and hope that they know that they're in all of our hearts here tonight as we spend time going into your word, Lord, trying to become closer and better students of your word that this might make difference in our lives and that we might be better equipped to go into this world and make a difference in the lives of others. In your son's most holy name, amen. Okay. Anybody know what we're supposed to talk about tonight? Yeah. So if anybody's got a deck of cards or something, we can get started that way. Marty did send me his notes, and uh, as I understand, he's been taking two of these at a time. And you know, Marty's got a little more energy than I do, so we're going to have to step along here. <laughs> but these are some wonderful ones, and, and Marty's always the same when he, something like this comes up. He says, and you know, these are my two favorites. <laughs> that I'm, at, yeah, well... I think that uh, if it were the ones next week, he might say the same thing. So, yeah, because he is Bible. Um, Marty might not make a big deal out of it, but he is a, a Bible scholar, and he does very much enjoy going into the Word and and trying to discern exactly what the right message might be to bring to you. But I have his notes, so I'm going to be re referencing them quite frequently tonight. But I did want to start with, to make sure everybody's on board with the Beatitudes. Has everybody been here at least one time? One of Mark? Okay, good. Because uh, the Beatitudes are, well, in my mind, they're unique in the Bible from what we, when you study. Because sometimes, you, you know, they're arranged so neat in a little order in the Bible, almost like the Ten Commandments or something that... It's real easy to get confused and think that those are orders for, for each of us to follow. And I suppose in a way they are. They sound a bit idealistic, quite frankly, as, as you go through it and start reading them. Merciful, kind, poor. You, you know them as well as I do. And they, they break into... Well, some people would say fours. The first four are about God, and then the last four are about us and our relationship with God and how we, can, how we are to live our lives. But they aren't really that idealistic in that they are real for us in the way that we can live 
in the kingdom of God and that the way we will live in the kingdom of God when that finally does come here on earth. But rather than trying to break these apart into individual things that we try to follow in our lives, um, one of the great theologians whose name escapes me right at the moment described them as a golden chain. And I've always liked that way of describing the Beatitudes as you go through them. One links that, that join both one, join each of them to each other, but they also join us to God and to one another as well. But we're going to start tonight with uh, blessed be the merciful for they shall receive mercy and then we'll go on to the pure in heart. Um, Marty told the story and I'm sure I won't get it just right, but he said when they were in elementary school, they had a game called Mercy. Does anybody remember it by the See, He said there were some other names for it too. Uncle, I give. Okay, does anybody want to try and just see? For those of you that don't know, it's on the playground and you clasp hands with another person and uh, whoever gives first cries mercy or cries uncle. And I thought that was a, an apt story to begin as we, are, as we do talk about mercy. And his hands, those baseball hands were far too valuable for that. He would have had to be very careful, but as you can see, these gnarled things that would have been, they have been broken, so it wouldn't matter. So, but I doubt Jesus ever played mercy on the playground with the others, but I do know that the, the idea of mercy is key in all of his teachings as you go through the Bible and learn a little bit about his ministry and I believe it's a characteristic. I struggle with what word I wanted to use right there, and I, that was the one that I'm happy with, I think. It's a mercy is a characteristic of Christ in his ministry here on earth. It's not some abstract idea, but something concrete that was a big part of what he had done or what he taught. He was there early in his ministry is when this took place, and I'm sorry if I double back on some, some of the ground you've already covered, <clears throat> and had just begun teaching when all the crowds came, and as he saw them coming, he had begun teaching around the countryside, and this was probably the first time that the really big crowds had, had come out to hear him, and he went up on the on the side of the mountain there so that he could speak out. He called his disciples around him. So it's very obvious that he is teaching to the multitudes that have gathered. And the way it describes the people that came together, it, it had to be a very eclectic group of people that came. It, there had to be some Pharisees from the Jews, some of the Sadducees, probably some, many of the Gentiles even had come, but people from all walks of life that had come to, to hear a little bit from this man called Jesus, whose name had begun to be passed around. And when he got down to 
saying, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The way they would have heard that as it's spoken in their language, Greek is probably what he was speaking in this time. As you know, Jesus spoke some very crude Greek as well as the Aramaic. But the word for mercy that he would likely have used, or what was used at least here in Matthew, was elos. Are you a Greek scholar? I don't even know. Okay. I have to go back and check every time. I, I do have a fair amount of Greek, but it's, it comes from the Hebrew Bible a word that I can't really pronounce, but it's called chest. And it's pretty much can't be translated into English. Uh, have, you've talked about the meaning of the word shalom probably at some time that you know it means you know, peace certainly, but it just means so much more than that. And that's what the same way with this same word here is, elos or chedeth. It's... Um, that Hebrew word appears in the Hebrew Bible over 150 times. It's a key word in our biblical studies and one that we should be familiar with. But it's a way that they, the writers of the Bible talked about God's interaction with God's people. Again, a characteristic of who God is and the way that God intends to interact with all of us and with his people. It's, uh, so if we read through those scriptures, we find that this word mercy, chedeth, appears over and over. One way that I, I have to take these words, and even though they may be unable to translate perfectly. I have to find ways to understand them. And as I went back, both I looked at the Hebrew and the Greek, and I found a phrase that said, to wash over. And again, that was one I, that I thought was very vivid in the way this mercy might come from God down to each of God's people. And it would just cover us and offer us with healing offer us with opportunities for life, reaching out and God embracing all of us that are willing to allow God to do that. And that's, that's this mercy that Jesus is talking about that day as he sits up there on the side of the mountain when he says, blessed are the merciful. He's talking about this elos. Now, Side note, when we say mercy, or when Jesus said mercy, he's not talking about pity. He's not talking about feeling sorry for somebody else. It's, in this sense, mercy requires action. It's more than just compassion. Compassion's a wonderful thing. It's beautiful. We should relate to other people. We should care about other people. But this word means that we have to step out just like God does for us to reach out to those that are around us. It's, it's more than just being compassionate. If a disaster happens somewhere around the country, 
the United States people here are wonderful and they will begin to send in supplies and clothes and food and truckloads of water. And those are beautiful things. Those are compassionate things. But what we're talking about here tonight goes, goes beyond that. It's showing mercy as love. But the key is it's, it's where love was not expected. Mercy is an act of love that quite simply doesn't make sense. It's hard to understand why God would love us so much. Much less why Jesus is calling us to be merciful for those around us. William Barclay is an old theologian that uh, many of us used to follow pretty closely if you're not familiar with him. I'll recommend him in that he's not the latest and greatest, but he's really easy to understand when you go in there. But he described this mercy, this elos, as getting inside someone else's skin until we can begin to see things through their eyes and to experience their experiences as they do. To feel things the same way that they might. And then once we have, have finally inserted ourselves where they are in their lives, then we move and begin to act on the things in their lives where, where they're hurting, where they're falling down in ways that can make a difference for them to embrace them and to offer healing. And it's just what God did with us in Jesus Christ has offered us that mercy and that grace we talk about. It's, it's well, it's closely tied to the incarnation of Christ and the way that we are all suspected. Mercy, it's love given in an unexpected way. It's God actually getting into our skin and becoming one of us. Blessed are you. When you show mercy like God does. Blessed are you when you get inside someone else's skin to, to reach out and to embrace and to offer healing to them. Blessed are you when you offer that unexpected love to one another. This church, I think, is pretty good at that already. But still trying to understand it is a little bit difficult, but some examples that I tried to come up with, it's, it's about touching other people, and the word's not quite right either. I used to be pretty good about going to where people were hungry and offering them food and clothing. But this elos is not about handing out food. It's about going and eating with those people. It's about touching and living with those people who are in need. Those people that, that we pull into our circle to be with them. Rather than, I call it the white knight syndrome. You see that happen too often where we'll ride into an area that needs help of some kind and we'll be there for about an hour and a half handing out that food, handing out their clothes, being with the people. 
and then we'll take off and all go to breakfast together and pat ourselves on the back. There's nothing wrong with that. I make it sound like it's a bad thing, but it's not. Because I tell people all the time that those folks that need help, well, they, they can't learn on an empty stomach. So they need those kinds of help as well. The reason I mention it tonight is that's not mercy. That's compassion. Okay, it's time for you to talk. Has anybody got an example in their life where they've seen? It's confusing, is it? It means more than mercy. Forgiveness, that's probably a great example, would be one part of that mercy. Because once you get into those other people's skin, once you see through their eyes and you begin to forgive them, then the forgiveness and mercy becomes the action that flows out of that forgiveness. No? Yes, it is. It is forgiveness. But it's but forgiveness is not the end. That's not the the where we stop. We go beyond that. God forgives us for our sins. We forgive those that are around us. Are you talking about Mother Teresa? Maybe. Mother Teresa might be one example. Can you give one example? Okay. Okay. They tell me the best examples are um, things that are personal and things that you know about for sure. But uh, and I'll talk about my wife, and I hope you'll, you'll take it uh, as that, because I think she's a great example of this. Uh, if you don't know, my wife is a nurse practitioner, uh, has a Ph.D. in psychology, and she works uh, in, with uh, people who are mentally ill. She was, it's a second career for her, just like a, I have a second career. But she um, graduated, got her PhD, and opened an office with a psychiatrist over here in the High Shepherd in Washington. You, everybody knows what kind of neighborhood that is. And she began to see patients over there, just about, that were reflective of the community there. She spent a lot of time doing good with um, hyperactive children. The one she used to laugh about was the, uh, the, the tennis mom that would come in who was so depressed because she had to drive a BMW and all her friends had Mercedes. If you heard the sermon Sunday, you might relate to some of that. So Wanda was unfulfilled in doing that. And Today, she left a rather lucrative practice. She works in the state prison system, is what she does now. And she works with the 
the worst of the worst of the worst. But she finds it so rewarding that once in a million when she has an opportunity to make a difference in one of the prisoners' lives. She doesn't deal with the death row or anything, but, but many of the ones that she cares for on a regular basis are in there for life and will never have a, a different life than what they do. And many of them are entered a life of crime because of their mental illness. It's not an excuse, but it had a great impact on their life. So I consider my wife offering of herself, offering mercy to some people that perhaps many of us might be reluctant to um, offer that same kind of mercy to. So it goes beyond forgiveness into taking action. So please don't think I'm bragging about her, but I am because I'm very proud of her and I think she has that that's a ministry of her own. Like so many kinds of ministry, um, it's been my experience that you can never give away enough that it's more than what you receive. Because if you give in ways of mercy, and the way these people respond will wash back over you. Wanda finds it so rewarding. She could never go back to doing what she was before. She did great work with those people, and those people needed her help over there in uh, the Heights. And I hope those people continue to get the care they need. But Wanda felt called to go and be able to help. Well, and quite frankly, she did this, started doing this several years ago, and it's hard to do. She quit after about three or four years and went back. God wouldn't leave her alone. So she's right back over there doing that now. She's safe. She does a, uh, She used to do it face to face. She does most of this through t telemedicine today. But uh, just the rest of the story there. So, uh, yes, I'm proud of her. But I think whether it's her or not, there are there are a lot of people that do the very same thing she does. And I suppose it's you could do that as a job. But can you imagine just having to show up to do that without a passion for something like that? I think that there has to be an element of mercy. You have to be willing to move and to take action in order for that to happen. That's exactly right. And that's what Christ is calling us to do. Graham, you had another question? <clears throat> when you what? When I give out mana bags. Yeah, no, that's a good thing. That's a great thing. 
when we spend the night and uh, actually sit down and eat dinner with people who most of whom unfortunately have been living in their cars, the whole family, and have the roof over their head, and it invariably rains when we do that. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, I mean, they're here, warm. Yeah, spending the night might be a little of an uh, extension, but... Uh, but, but Hearing their story. Hearing their story. Everybody has a story. Everybody, and by story I'm talking about what's inside of you. Everybody has a, a part of their life that they're, they're willing to share. And you can do that. It doesn't have to be among the poor. It doesn't have to be among the prisoners. It may be among the, the hurt. Marty's offering mercy to the family, the Wrights family down at the the hospital this very evening. And, but it is taking that next step. I'm just trying to think of everyday things that regular people do. Yeah. I'm thinking of um, one of those people that are in recovery, or have had recovery, and someone volunteered to be their sponsor. And then mm -hmm. the sponsor took their time. Absolutely. But AA or Narcotics Anonymous or... Absolutely. I, most of you know Jim. He's just left and went to the other room. Some weeks he spends 40 hours in the prisons right here in this area and uh, spending time there bringing some of them to Christ and to working with the prisoners there. I, I, I've got another, a, a young friend. She's 30 years old, I guess, and is about the same place I am in, in ministry. She's 30 years old, but it's a second career for her. She um, um, has a master's degree in political science and is also a degree in law and uh, was very heavily involved in politics and has gone back to seminary and is on her way to becoming ordained as a United Methodist minister as well. But when she, as she continued on her journey, she moved out of that uh, the condo that she lived in over here on the west side and went over far east of Houston and rented a little place uh, in the, in the, behind a, a bar there and lives among the people that, where she has a chance to do the ministry that she wants. Now, Liana does that, and I'm talking an awful lot about some extremes, if you will, okay? It doesn't have to be like that. AA is probably a better example for all of us to be thinking about, but it might be as simple as loving your church and coming and volunteering in your church. Some people spend more time here than I do. <laughs> some people in this room, a couple more up here too that do that. But that's taking that next step. That's taking that action. That's moving forward with what you're doing. Great example in the Bible. Let's see if I've got, I don't have the scripture there. The story of the Good Samaritan. If you're not familiar with that, I think that's probably an ideal example when the man was laying there in the ditch. He'd been robbed and beaten and, and left for dead in the ditch. And when the Wonderful preachers came along and they saw the man in the ditch over there. They turned and went down the other side of the road. 
the two, what were the other two? I don't remember now whether, let's call them politicians, the mayor of the town walked by and did the same thing and went to the, to the other side of the road and left him. But then the Samaritan came along, which if you can remember, the Samaritans were the bitter enemies of the Jews. They were the, the Muslims of the time, I would suppose. I hate using that analogy, but to try to put this in the right frame of mind, who was the one that stopped and bandaged the wounds and helped the person that had been left there in the ditch. He offered compassion. Forgiveness wasn't even a, a consideration. That was a given. And went on and offered this mercy to the person who had been hurt who was in pain and who needed him. Confusing him up. I want to make sure I don't pound it too hard either. But then we get to the hard part. Is that we're called to do that not just for the hurting, not just for the pain, but not for those that we love. It's easy to do that for family members. Most of us have somebody in our family through the years who's needed this kind of help. But for our enemies as well, and for those that we are concerned about, that we want to take care of. Uh, let's see, we've got time. Another great story was um, a high school football team right here in, in Texas, up in Grapevine, Faith Christian School, as told in a book called Almost Christian was a typical suburban Texas high school football team. They were outfitted in the latest equipment, had 40 or 50 people on the team, a wonderful field to play on, fans that supported them, coaches that were available to help them every step of the way, trainers that were there when they, when they got themselves hurt. And in one particular year, they were having a good season. They were seven and two. When it came time for them to play the Gainesville State Tornadoes, who were just the opposite. They didn't have but 14 players on the team, which was sort of convenient because before each game, the guards would have to take their handcuffs off before they could play. These were juveniles that had been arrested and were locked up. They wore the beaten up, worn out old equipment. They lived their lives behind, uh, behind bars. Many of their families had disowned them and they certainly didn't have any fans following them on the road and every game had to be an away game because they didn't even have a, a place to play back there. But this home team, Faith Christian School, knew they were going to be facing these guys and they knew who, who was coming in. And so they had an idea to tell you what we're going to do. We're going to take half of the fans and y'all are going to go sit on the visitor side. And the junior varsity cheerleaders are going to go over there on the other side. And all the way through the game, you're going to be their fans. 
when Gainesville State got ready to, to come out on the field, uh, as you can imagine, they usually came out rather downtrodden, and they're surprised to see the, the big paper banner up with their names on it and, and the line of fans for them to, to run out through. People were cheering for them by name. You can imagine the effect that it had on, on those poor boys that had gone awry in their lives. Now, it's not a storybook ending. They lost the game, okay, 44 to, to whatever. But at the end of the game, they all huddled up, both teams together, to pray. And one of the Gainesville, Gainesville kids asked that he might be able to, to pray. And his prayer went like this. Lord, I don't know how this happened. So I don't know how to say thank you. But I would have never known there were so many people in this world that cared about us. And then they got up and they put the handcuffs back on them and they loaded them back on the bus. But as they went, they were handed a bag with a, a meal that they could eat on the way home and a few trinkets that they could take with them and a Bible in each one of those bags. So you see that Christian school didn't just show pity. They didn't just show that they cared. It wasn't just compassion, but it was this mercy where they took an exceptional step. They expressed love where love was not expected. And that's what Jesus tells that crowd to go and do likewise. <laughs> that's always my view she asked who benefited the most from that and and you're exactly right it's it's hard to it's hard to tell because and that's why i always try to tell both sides of that because we don't want to get where we feel like we're those white knights because it usually washes back over you if you read what it said those who show mercy will receive mercy. And that's what we're talking about. Mercy can be for us too as it cleanses our souls and, and refills us to where we are overflowing as well. It'd be a strange world, wouldn't it? And that's what Marty talks about each week. Yes, sir? Oh, preacher's got to take a head count. Then we'll talk about blessed are the pure in heart unless, are we okay? Good, all right. It's not a very good transition, is it? But I don't know, I don't know how he's been doing that. So, so we'll, just, we'll just jump from one to the other in, in, in cold. Is it? Somehow I don't believe that. He's so smooth, you know? I don't know if he's smoother, he just makes you believe he is, one or the other. He's so likable, you know, he can do anything he wants and everybody loves it, but, and I'm the same way. But the sixth beatitude, this blessed are the pure in heart, sounds again like 
something that's almost not possible for you to be pure in heart. Okay. Sometimes we make a big effort, don't we? But it sounds, again, like an ideal that we're supposed to strive for that's unreachable in this lifetime. And there's nothing that Jesus ever said that's not possible for us here in God's kingdom, to bring God's kingdom to earth. Now, big step. It'd be awfully hard to do. But these things are available to us. There's no reason we can't live in mercy and is pure in heart. They're not, they're not conditions that we strive for, but rather a way of life for all of us that, that we can live. Because you have to remember that many of these that we talked about, let's see, the first four were the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, and those who hunger and thirst could almost be a curse if you were living in those conditions, if you were called upon, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn. But that's not what was intended with any of these. They, but nevertheless, we do see a shift as we begin to look at these next four, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. These become an invitation from Jesus for us to change. It becomes an announcement of this new kingdom that can come here to earth through the forgiveness and the grace of God that's available to all of us. And I know that's, I didn't say that very clearly, but I can't figure out how to do it. So if somebody's got a better idea, let me know. But because that's, if you, as you work through the scriptures, that's what you'll find is, is painting a picture for us and, and what our lives could be like rather than this that goes on so much in our world. And it becomes idealistic in that we have so many alligators in our lives biting at us and coming after us. And the word a lot of preachers might use would be just distractions, like they're this little thing that you got to worry about, like jobs and house notes and, and cancer and things that uh, happen in our lives, the difficult things we face. But nevertheless, there are ways forward for us. Blessed are the pure in heart where they will see God. I imagine that the Jews there that were gathered that day, when he said they will see God, that the Jews could imagine that. Because if you'll remember back to the story of Moses, Moses had had asked God if it would be okay if he could see his face. And God said, no. But if you'll go over there in that cave 
And as I go by, I'll let you see my back. And God was so brilliant and so bright that Moses came out with a, a terrible sunburn. If you'll forgive me for being flip about it. But Jesus is telling us to go and do something that even Moses was not able to do. So who is Jesus talking about? Who are these pure in heart? Is it really possible for any of us to be that way? Well, Jesus never really says who are the pure in heart. He doesn't give us the seven habits of the, the pure in heart and, or it gives us five parables that we can go through and find out exactly who they are. He doesn't really explain it for us. He sort of leaves us hanging out there, but, but he does tell us about an impure heart. He does show what the opposite of that might be. Have you got your Bibles with you? Mark 7, 18 through 21. He tells us a story of what one might not look like. Huh. Anybody know where Mark is? Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Mark 7, 18 through 21. After leaving the crowd, he entered the house where his disciples asked him that riddle. He said to them, don't you understand either? Don't you know that nothing from the outside that enters a person has the power to contaminate? That's because it doesn't enter into the heart, but into the stomach. And it goes out into the sewer. By saying this, Jesus declared that no food could contaminate a person in God's sight. It's what comes out of a person that contaminates someone in God's sight. It's from the inside, from the human heart, that evil thoughts come. So Jesus tells us it's those are the things that create the impurity. Obviously, he's talking about the dietary requirements of the Jewish faith, that, the, that they were not able to eat certain foods for whatever reasons. And, but Jesus is talking beyond that about our hearts. And that's one thing Marty has stretched, stressed each week in his series, Revolution, is that each one of the topics as he's talked about through the Sermon on the Mount comes back to our own hearts and what exists there. And that's where the impurities might make a difference. You have to look within your own heart because that's where either the real defilement, the real problems are, or becomes this pure in heart that Jesus is calling us toward, calling us to love one another. Let's see. If you go on back just a few verses in there, which I won't go in the interest of time, but you know Jesus called many of them hypocrites. That was a word that you heard a number of times when he was talking to those Pharisees. 
and the religious leaders and the teachers of the days. But hypocrites in those days referred to actors who would go on stage at the theater. So he's telling those people that they're really only acting in their religious lives. They're not living their lives as pure in heart. They're simply acting. Boy, I read those words that Marty had written. And uh, boy, it, uh, it convicted me as a matter of fact, because I can picture myself doing that. Um, particularly in my role in what I do here at the church. Sometimes I'll get so busy and so distracted with what I'm doing that sometimes it feels like, well, I've got to, get, you know, I've got to go to the hospital. I've got to make sure I've got the prayers written. And it just becomes a, a checklist of things that it seems like I've got to hurry and get done, perhaps even studying to lead a class two hour, three hours from whenever I got the phone call. And I find myself almost separated from my heart when I go about this because I love doing all those things. I am called to do every bit of that. But what comes in the heart and what comes out is what really matters. And so I... I was convicted by that as well, that my heart would be, can be impure. If you're a fan of St. Augustine, he, he talked about that a good bit, about the impurities in our heart. And, uh, Augustine said that it is not about looking good for others, but a pure heart is one that seeks to please God. Read one more scripture before. Make sure we've got time. Luke, I can find that one this time. Luke 18, 10 through 14. Whenever you enter a city and the people don't welcome you, go out into the streets and say, as a complaint against you, we brush off the dust of your city that is collected on our feet. But know this, God's kingdom has come to you. I assure you that Sodom will be better off on judgment day than that judgment day than that city. How terrible it will be. How terrible it will be for you. If the miracles done among you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have changed your hearts and lives long ago. That's enough. He talks about changing our hearts. And we have to do that to remove those impurities. The Pharisee here that they're talking about is, well, he believes that he's already righteous, that he's already pure in heart. He compares himself to others, judging those other people around him. But if you think about the tax collectors, that are talked about in the story that would say their simple prayer. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need God's mercy. I believe that's the kind of heart that God is looking for. Not some kind of difficult thing to do. 
not some kind of checklist that we have to go down to become pure in heart, but simply a heart that longs for God, a heart that is open to the grace and the love that, that God offers us. You see, Jesus, is, Jesus isn't worried about whether or not you look good to others. Jesus wasn't worried about looking good to the people of his time. Jesus was concerned about doing good with them. Jesus wanted to get to the heart of the matter. And that's the things that are going on inside your heart. And to do that, we have to admit that we don't have it all together. That it does happen to us, that we can be hypocrites, that we can be actors and actresses, that when we should be looking at that tax collector who was not even allowed to, to go to church, who would simply say, God have mercy on me, a sinner. You see, that's a pure heart. It's as simple as that and as difficult as that, both at the same time. To say, God, have mercy on me. It's when you and I admit that we're broken, that we're in need of God's grace, that that's when God can come into our hearts and meet us just where we are. But we have to break down those barriers. We have to remove those impurities in our own minds and hearts and souls that, that prevent Christ from coming into our lives and impacting what we do. It's when we remember God in our lives and understand that we are not God, but that we follow God and that we live in God's love, that we can become the blessed that are pure in heart, for they'll see God. That's an announcement of the good news. The good news of Jesus Christ. The good news that's available to us when God said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. And I think, to sort of try to pull that together, is that when Jesus said that, blessed are the pure in heart, that it was an invitation for all of us. An opportunity for us to to lay down those things that get in the way. Those things will never go away. Making the house note, tax season is upon us. Lent has got Marty and I running from can to can. All those things that are distractions in our lives are going to continue to be there. But it's about whether or not we allow them to affect our hearts, to affect how we go out into the world, how we love one another, is how we offer that mercy to one another. And I think that's what this invitation is, is for us to be able to lay those things down and to keep them into perspective in our lives instead of falling into these pits that you hear so much of today, 
where there's nothing but fighting and bickering and distractions that are going on that, while certainly important, are simply not things of the kingdom. And simply not the way that we need to be treating one another. Not the things that we want to be pouring out of our hearts. I won't talk about the things that you read on Facebook or if you pick up the front page of the paper or if you turn on the 24-hour news cycles that are going on. But if we allow those things to be regurgitated from our hearts, then we're allowing those impurities to impact our lives, which then impact those that are all around us. So, it's an opportunity to examine how we're living our lives and how we go about doing the things that, that we want to do, the things we have to do, and to be able to do those in a way that allows God's kingdom to shine through our hearts. Amen. <laughs> Any questions or thoughts about that? Hang on. Right. He's talking about not just seeing, not looking for God in the future in that, right. in that eternal life, right. but, but finding glimpses of God today. Yeah. And absolutely, that's a, I'm a pretty impatient guy. But uh, so I don't want to wait till then. And God doesn't always respond the way that I think she ought to. But. <laughs> But nevertheless, yeah. <laughs> nevertheless, there are glimpses of God available to us. And uh, you can, but you can't see those with those impurities pouring out of your heart. So, other questions or comments before we do this? Okay. Well, when I do the benediction each week at, um, at uh, Open Skies in here, what I usually finally tell them is, y'all go home.